Quick warning before we start. This episode contains some graphic language and depictions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. This is Moral of the Story. Interesting people telling their favorite short stories and then breaking them down to understand what makes them so good. I'm your host, Max Chapovsky. On today's show, we have Dr. Frank Vaught Jr., who is quite simply the man. He hails from the west side of Detroit, 313, which ingrained in him an undying hustle and a desire to help people. Both of those would serve him well. He played college football on scholarship at Central Methodist University and served eight years in the U.S. Army, where he rose to sergeant, focusing on hospital medical nutrition in Fort Lee VA and Fort Sam Houston, Texas. Then, after getting his doctorate of chiropractic in St. Louis, he hung his own shingle, practicing chiropractic and physical rehab at Health on Earth Wellness Centers in Chicago's south suburb of Crestwood. The hustle is strong with this young man who co-founded three other health and wellness locations in Illinois, allowing him to put his advanced certifications in prenatal, pregnancy, and brain traumatology, among others, to good use. He also co-founded a coaching company, Evoke, to help other doctors around the country become more successful. Frank is also a public speaker, published author, and the recipient of the 2013 African American Male Image Awards. And last but not least, and this is probably his most notable accomplishment, this man wears a pocket square better than anyone else I know. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Frank. Always a blast spending time with you, Maxie, man. It wouldn't, wouldn't be any other place. So, tell me a story. Well, um, I, I, I'm going to share a story with you, and um, and, and, and it's one um, um, that comes to my mind, uh, you know, especially with uh, someone like you that's uh, such a great communicator, uh, so transparent, as well as being able to be a comedian in any environment. And and, and the last time I kind of brought this up, it it, it was something that was uh, that was very dear to me, and it um, that day it changed uh, me, a part of me, forever. And um, but I'm glad that I was able to experience it because I was able to grow uh, from it so much. And I um, it was I'm in the military. I was in the military. I did eight years as a as a reservist and 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 I was at my drill and I was um, after a long day of drill and and uh, me and a soldier uh, uh, buddy of mine, a battle buddy is what we call it, went out and we had some drinks and grabbed a bite to eat and rode around to um well, walked around to a, a few different areas um, and because it was in Kirksville, Missouri. It was a small town. It was, um, you know, a little had a town square, which was interesting. Uh, uh, I used to love that type of environment. And uh, we were walking home about maybe about 11, 12 o'clock at night. Um, everything was closing on up and and we were going to our hotel and I was we were walking uh, me and me and the soldiers, Italian guy. And uh, and there was a group of guys about five or six. And uh, when we walked by, you know, uh, we walked by and I looked over and I looked back and I heard, hey, nigger. And I, I stopped and I was like, oh, man, someone, someone. I looked around. I was the only black guy. So I said, hey, they, they must be talking to me. So I kind of kind of played it off and kept walking. Someone said, hey, nigger. So I stopped and I turned around. and My friend was like, hey, hey Frank, no, you, you, you don't have to. You have to do this. He didn't say Frank. He said Vaught because that's what we called each other. Then we called Vaught. That's our last name. You didn't have to do that. I said, let me just go see. You know, I mean, we're human beings. And I said, um, you know, it was a little tipsy. You know, he had some drinks, and and, and um, I walked over and he, and I said, uh, excuse me, what did you say? 
He said, hey, Nick. And before he could get to the G, I had hit him in the face there, Maxie. <laughs> I hit him. And so, then all of them jumped in and I, I, I hit a couple. of, I hit all of them except for the young lady that was standing there. And uh, two of the guys that I hit stopped immediately. They, did, they didn't want any part. Then the, the other three uh, jumped in and um, we began to scuffle. And then they stopped and they stepped back. And it was just one guy. And we were on the ground rolling around. I was exhausted, Maxie. I'm talking about I, I was just I was exhausted. And, and, and they were all just standing there in a huddle around me. Next thing I know, like two arms just grabbed me up and swooped me up from behind. And they picked me up. And I was like, whoa, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not the littlest guy, you know, I mean, and I, <laughs> something just swooped me up and picked me up. And it was the police. And there was a police between me and this group of people. And they were asking what was going on. And it was two police standing on both sides of me. And um, and they were saying, what's going on? You know, and, and I said, well, this guy called me this. And the officers, they jumped me. And they were like, well, what are you doing? I'm on drill, um, officer. And um, and then one of the girls, well, that well, the only girl that was with him, uh, came around as the cop was standing in between us. And she spit in my face and said, you're, you're a fucking nigger. Um, you're lying, fucking dirty nigger. And she spit in my face. Now, there was a rage in me that I, I just, I, I was a 20-year-old kid. <laughs> and when she spit in my face, it, it was just, I could think about every single uh, Kunta Kinte movie, <laughs> every single Roots movie. I reached across the police officer. And I knew, I didn't hit her, because it had been bent over for me. But I punched the guy in the face again that uh, that I was fighting with because he, the officer, of course, was, was planted right between us. And um, and then the cops tackled me and they maced me in the street and they held my arms down and they sprayed me and maced me in the street. And then they cuffed me in the street and it was four of them and they left them there and they took me to jail and they put me in a cell. It was freezing. I'm out, but my eyes were burning. And my eyes were burning. And then once they got my ID, they realized I was in the military. So they called my commander and they stood at the jail cell and they took a water hose. And they sprayed me. They sprayed me until I told them, because I told them that my eyes had stopped burning. And they, they stood outside the cells, about 11 or 12 of them just standing there. And um, all I was doing was just just punching the walls and crying. And I was up there like, what the fuck does a black man have to do? I graduate from college. I served in military. I'm in school trying to be a doctor. I'm a good father. But yet still, I'm I'm in a jail cell. Because I got mace in my eyes being water hose because I got jumped by five, you know, guys sitting on the back of a pickup truck. It was disheartening to know that, you know, no matter what type of success that I have, no matter what contribution that I give, no matter what I come from, that I would still be looked at or treated as as almost like the enemy or a threat. I really want to really wanted to be in a position to where I felt like I had an evenness or equalness. And it's with serving my country or being a citizen or 
of being a human being, a loving, giving, caring, serving human being. But I, I realize that that's not possible in the United States. How did the story end? What ended up happening? Um, the next morning, my my unit supervisor uh, came and he got me out of jail. Um, he brought me in the office and he asked me what happened. He apologized to me for, you know, what the current situation, the state of that area is and, and the, the country is that I, I was in uniform serving. And and um, and that was it. Nothing else happened. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So did they did they file charges or what happened? No one filed any charges. Um, nothing was done after that. After they got me out of out of the jail, they cleaned everything up and nothing was ever mentioned again. Just so that I can have context, what year was this? Wow. 2001. There are probably some people listening that are saying, this is crazy. Like, how can something like that happen in modern day America? And there are probably plenty of other people who are listening and saying, guess what? This is kind of our reality. Let me ask you this. What is the moral of the story to you? The moral of this story is I used to think that um, it was something that I did. I used to think that it was uh, maybe I, I looked uh, intimidating because I was a big guy or 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 maybe I um, maybe I, uh, I, I I was I was I was wrong to feel intimidated or scared. I saw those five guys over there, Maxie, man. I was scared when they were screaming at me and shouting um you know, I said, well, I was always taught you got to meet force with force. I mean, that's how I grew up, because if you turn around and run, that's only going to make them a lot more aggressive. So you try to go over and you dissolve it or you have to you get you, you have to do something because they would have. We were going down a dark street to the hotel. Who knows what would have happened if they would have, you know, in the dark, you know, like they do in the dark stuff in the dark. And um, the moral of the story is, um, I guess, that there really is no justice for people of color. Um, every single person that I know ever since this whole um, this whole BLM movement started, you know, all of my, my colleagues, they've all told or shared stories of extreme racism. And the thing about it is we even all thought it was just us. But it's all of us. The higher you climb the ladder in any type of profession or professionalism, you you look around and you don't see many that look like you. So you it's a constant conformity that you have to um, that you have to have It's constantly putting a hat on. It's never being yourself. It's always having to be something or someone that you're not. And it's work and it's stress. And the moral, the moral of this is uh, they're, they're, they're what, what I, think, I think it's so funny. Uh, 
I don't want to say it like Tupac says. He says, uh, I won't have no peace unless I get to keep my peace in my hand. <laughs> you know, and it's and it doesn't have to go to that. I mean, I'm I'm a God fearing man, um, and I believe in operating out of love. Um, but what's happening now in our country? It's uh, it's never happened before, and there is starting to be a shift. But there's an undoing of so many hundreds and hundreds of years that has to happen. Um, but it's, it's starting. It's starting now. And the biggest thing is it's not the majority. It's the minority of people that are doing this. And they don't know that things like this is going on. And for them to be able to see it, it's like it's different when, well, my sister's married to a black guy and I got nieces and nephews that are black. It's like, well. I played basketball for years and, and all of my teammates were black, you know, I, you know, and they, they took me in their home and they treated me like one of them. And now I'm out here and I'm, they're not killers. They're not, you know, they're not, I mean, they're not, they're, these are the things that are, that are coming out that there's a lot of agendas to keep separation between, between people. So let me ask you this. You have three kids Two of them are girls, oh my God. Yes. nine and 13. You are bringing them up in a world where the second they walk out of the house, on some level, the deck is stacked against them. What do you tell them? It's a thing of uh, knowing that there is something bigger out there than us down here. It's uh, putting your faith and trust in God and his plan because he does have a plan there is a plan that's that that may not be something that we may understand but it's kind of like i look at um god is like the the team owner you know a team owner sits up on in a box right and he sees the entire field and we're like one of the players on a on a field so we play our position and our role not understanding all the time what's going on on the field but just having the faith to know that uh, we're being guided and we're being led. And I teach my daughters to always operate out of love. Um, one of the things that's so important is that you can't allow hate to come in and harden you. At the same time, you can't allow uh, hate to come in and take advantage of you. So I teach them to be educated. I show them love so they know what love feels like uh, when it's something that they don't feel or they begin to feel they can move away from. And I teach them to have high standards for themselves because uh, what you think about and who you are is what you bring about and what you attract. And if you act in that um, matter, you oftentimes attract good things to you, but bad things are going to come. And with every breakdown is a breakthrough. So in life, they're going to have their breakdowns. The biggest thing I can do is teach them those tools, give them those tools, love them and pray for them. And, and, and that's and, and hope for the best, Maxie. That's what I have. I don't I don't have protection from the police. I don't have protection from the government. I don't have logic in society. I don't have that. All I have is faith. OK, but I'm going to push you on this. As long as we're quoting musicians. There we go. 
I might lose that with you though, Maxie. I might lose that. No, 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 no. Jay-Z said, they say an eye for an eye, we both lose our sight, but two wrongs don't make a right. So when you've been wrong and you know that it's just one life, at what point does one fight? That's what's going to happen. But this is the thing. And, and I, oh, that's so all oh, you right there, man. The thing about it is, is this. That fight that everybody's talking about is not going to be good because anytime our nation is fighting each other, that's when another nation can creep right in through the back door. They say Rome, the only reason why Rome fell is because of problems on the inside of Rome. And if we don't get justice, if we don't have equality or get fair treatment and we keep being treated less than, that will happen. There will be a civil war. There will be that. And that will be the end of this United States. People will come in because they're already talking about defunding cops. They're already talking about they're pulling the military out. That's not the United States. But that's the things that are occurring and things that are happening. You really got to look at. um, Is this what this country really wants and what are they scared of? What's the fear of all of us being together, treated equally, having that affinity? Um, Now is the time to strike back. But I don't think actually. If there's ever a time to strike back, you fight and you strike back and then change happens. You don't continue to unless change stops. The whole fight is for just change to happen. The whole fight is for us to have fair treatment for policy to come in because it doesn't matter what someone does. Laws have to change. Things have to transform. Things on paper have to start to be submitted. You know what I mean? So these are these are the things that actually have to occur. Giving a twelve hundred dollar. Uh, <laughs> that's great. That's great. But but I'm talking about real things have to happen or that will be it. It will be an eye for eye. It will be every man for itself. It will be that uh, that race war that um, that a lot of the small majority want. You said something earlier. You said we're in a time now when this has never happened. This has never happened here in our country. I think it actually has happened a lot. People just didn't have the phones to record it. Yeah, yeah maybe so. Yeah, yeah. So do you feel like we are heading in the direction where change is going to take place? Because I heard that there was uh, that the, the bill to... Um, modify policing or do something that, you know, that presents a sort of path forward, uh, died in either the the Senate or the house. Mm-hmm. So where do you think we go from here? Well, so what, what I was saying is this never happened as far as the shift and them actually doing things. Cause before it has happened as far as the things that are going on, but it wasn't visible. It It, it couldn't touch your strings to your heart. Right. I mean, you go to, to your to your kid's school and you see a couple of black kids and, and your kids play with them. And it's like, oh, OK, cool. But to know that those kids won't be, you know, they could be a strong bond. They have to be separated at some point for your son to excel. 
for your daughter to not be treated a certain way because maybe she likes a, a black guy and, and, and may have mixed children. That's the change I'm talking about. It's just that now you can see it. You can see it. You can see it on your phone. Now it's like, that's really happening. Like, what, 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 I don't understand. I mean, they're, they're to serve and protect, you know, and oh, they're, they're bothering senators. They're, they're, they're doing this to, I saw a 14 year old girl get drugged by a grown man. Now, if, if they do it to the black community, people have to know that they're coming next. And this is what people aren't wanting, Maxie. What about African-American police officers? They are, I feel like on some level, torn between two communities. Shh. How, because you used to be in the military. I'm curious what your take is on that. Um, being an African-American cop right now is, and shouts out to him, it's probably so rough right now, especially in communities like this, where it's so dense in population. Number one, they sworn to protect. They have a brotherhood that they've, they've sworn to be a part of. But at the same time, the system that they're sworn into is crooked. Um, and it's not for their community. But at the same time, they have a loyalty to that community. Because they still have families, they still have children, and then they, that's their job. It's got to be so rough to be in that type of environment to where literally you go in every day and now, you know, you're already hated as a black man as a, and then you're, you're an officer too. So it's, don't think that black officers, that their racism is something that they don't experience. I, a good buddy of mine right now is in St. Louis. Um, he was shot by a police officer. He's a police officer. He was standing in a friend of his backyard, standing in the backyard in regular clothes. Uh, some guys, some police were chasing, ran through the backyard and jumped the fence. They're just standing there looking and people coming and <laughs> running and walking in and they're looking and they're seeing. And, and all of a sudden the cops, they, they get away. They're not moving. The cops jump the fence and say, everybody get down on the ground, freeze. And he's a police officer. He's like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a police officer. So he gets on the ground. He's like, look, I have a badge. He said, check me. He pulled his badge out. They shot him. He has a lawsuit right now with the city of St. Louis uh, that's been going on for years. But Brianna's Taylor's killers aren't in jail. But Michael Vick fights some dogs. And he goes to jail like yesterday. How is it that my life is worth less than a dog, Maxie? How is that? And that's something that um I, I just I just, I just can't imagine. So you just grow up, right? And that's in your head constantly. And so you got some people that have no clue that this is going on in there. All lives matter. All lives matter. What are you telling? Blue lives matter. Well, how can all lives matter if black lives don't? It's like saying, um, you know what? Today's my birthday. Well, I have a birthday too. <laughs> I got a birthday too. And this is the foolishness that people are dealing with. 
A nurse was just fired because she said that George Floyd, the reason why he died was because he was on meth and that the cop really didn't put his neck, his knee on the neck real hard. George Floyd was screaming for his mom. His mom had been dead for years, man. So, Maxie, man, I, I just it's, 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 it's these are the things that goes on in someone's mind that's black. And yes, when I'm driving, Maxie, and a cop pulls up behind me, I get anxiety. My heart beats really fast. I get nervous. I want to make sure my seatbelt is on. I want to make sure I don't have to reach around for my insurance. I hope it's up to date. I hope I didn't have a beer for lunch. Oh, my goodness. Because you know what? That could be me next. Yeah, I think people need to understand that that is unfortunately the reality for a big part of the population. And uh, until they understand that, I think it's going to be hard to have, you know, any sort of meaningful change. You've told that story quite a bit, I'm sure, in the past. And that's a powerful story because of the content, right? For those that want to learn how to tell better stories that may not have such a profound experience to pull from, what advice would you have for them? What I would advise people to do is speak from your heart and speak from a place of truth. Uh, When you speak from your heart and you tell the truth, it's piercing, it penetrates, and what it does is people feel it. Speak with every bit of passion that you have inside of you for what you'd like to see change. And you don't need to make up anything. Your story is your story and it's your own unique place and space and time. And everybody's story is there for someone to listen from, to learn from, to lean on and to grow from. So your story counts, whether it was a bat of the eye, a punch to the face, a a jab, if it hurts you, it matters because you matter. And if you want to share your story, please do. And you tell your story and you tell it to anybody and everybody that can listen because that just might help someone. It might save someone and it might inspire someone to do better, be better. And adding to the chorus only makes it more powerful. Absolutely. That does it for us. Dr. Frank Vaught, (laughs) co-founder of Health on Earth Wellness Center. Thank you for being vulnerable enough to share the story. Definitely. For Frank's full bio, links to some of what we talked about, and then some head over to mosspod.org. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast on. This was Moral of the Story. I'm Max Chapovsky. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.